The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 21st chapter. Glory, Glory to you, Lord. Lord. Jesus said there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Sisters and brothers, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, the world having shifted into high gear for shopping season, we in the church are rather counterculturally invited to downshift. Not to speed up, but to slow down for the church's Advent season. It's meant to be a season of preparation. Advent, in other words, is a season that doesn't view itself as a destination, but rather as a journey toward a destination, the destination not being, and this maybe will surprise some of you when I say this, the destination of Advent is not Christmas. The destination of Advent is Jesus. The word Advent means coming or arrival, and the purpose of Advent is to ready yourself for, to prepare yourself for the coming, the arrival of Jesus which, yes, includes preparing to celebrate his past tense coming as that baby in that manger at Christmas in that old little town. But Advent is also meant to be a time of preparations for the present tense coming of Jesus here and now in the ways that he does promise to come to his people daily. And also, and this takes us to the theme of this week's reading, Advent is meant to be a time also, where we make sure we are prepared for the future tense coming of Jesus. For he future tense will, he promised, on that day, one day that will be the end of all days as we know them. He will, he said, one day come again. Which takes us to our text for today. But first a word from our old friend, context. For as is the case with this passage and so many other passages, the meaning of this text today takes on meaning from its broader context. The context in this case being that Jesus is in Jerusalem. And in just a few days now, literally this same week, 
he will soon, condemned by both church and state, he will be, to the best of their ability, done away with. Mocked, tortured, nailed to a cross, and left hanging there until he's dead. First part of the context for our gospel reading for today, it is crunch time, it is high stakes time, it is game on time in Jerusalem. The second part of the context is that Jesus is teaching and he's doing that in the temple in Jerusalem, which is a magnificent structure and is at the heart and the pinnacle of Jewish religious life at that time. Just earlier, right before this in his teaching, Jesus had taken strong issue with the scribes, leaders among the Jews in their religious lives at the time. He had denounced them for being just concerned about the externals of their religion, the pomp and circumstance of religion with which they pompously elevated themselves over others at the expense of others instead of humbling themselves to reach out to the needs of others and to care for the needs of others. These religious fakes, he said to his disciples, are at the tops of their ladders now, but I wouldn't want to be them come what's coming. Then he turned to one who was one of the people he had said these religious fakes were ignoring and stepping on and trampling on and leaving behind, a poor widow who had almost literally nothing, but what she had, she put it all in the collection plate. Remember that story? All of it added up to one penny. All of it, Jesus said, was the most generous act of giving he'd ever seen. And that is when he looked around at this grandeur, the beauty of this temple he was teaching in. It was a spectacular structure. It was built by King Herod the Great. By the way, great was the description he came up with for himself all by himself. He was a ruthlessly evil man. Herod the Great was the one you may remember who killed all the boy babies in Bethlehem after the Magi had told him that there had been a baby king born there. He was also, albeit in a paranoid kind of way, he knew how to, how, he was a good politician, and he knew how to please and appease his base, his base being the Jews. And so he built them this temple in Jerusalem. Faithful Jews were somewhat conflicted about that. On the one hand, they realized full well that their leader was evil and paranoid. On the other hand, look at that temple. I mean, it's beautiful. It's the biggest temple we've ever had. Teaching in the temple in our gospel reading for today, Jesus, whom the architect of the temple had tried to murder 30 years ago, Jesus said, you think this building is something? Think again, because it's just a pile of stones. And one day there won't be one stone left piled up on top of another any longer. Some more context. Forty years or so after Jesus said this in the temple that day, the Romans, in the course of putting down a rebellion in Jerusalem, destroyed the temple in Jerusalem stone by stone. It's never been rebuilt. When will this happen, Jesus' hearers said, and Jesus didn't then tell them when. He didn't say 40 years or so when the Romans come. What he said instead is that prior to it happening, 
There would be wars, there would be persecutions, there would be disasters like they'd never seen before. There would even be things in the heavens like they'd never seen before. What he told them, in other words, is that frightening things would happen before it happened, and many would be frightened, terrified when it happened. But you, he said, don't be afraid. Even if they persecute you, as they will, he said. Even if they kill some of you, as they will, he said. Don't be afraid. That takes us to the text I just read. When having foretold what would happen 40 years or so later, Jesus looked further ahead to, he said, the end not of the temple in Jerusalem, but of the earth itself. And not just of the earth itself, but the heavens and the earth. One day, he said, things even more frightening will happen. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, he said. There will be distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves, he said. And more than people on earth will be anything in those days, he said. They will be terrified, he said. But not you, he said. By all means, no, not you. He said, when fearful things are happening around you and above you, don't be afraid, he said. Rather than, he said, look up. For in the midst of things fearful, it will not be your destruction. It will be your redemption drawing near. For the Son of Man will come in a cloud with power and great glory, he said, and the earth and the heavens will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be alert, he said, be ready, he said, be prepared, he said, to stand before the Son of Man when he comes. And that's the end of our Gospel reading for the first Sunday of Advent. We begin this new church year urged by Jesus to be ready for the end of all years. When, says Jesus, he will come again, and all things that are anything other than him and what he promises will come to an end. Now, Lutherans, by and large, and I'll put myself in this camp, by and large, we, we haven't talked much and don't talk much about the second coming of Christ. I mean... What well, we do every day, we say the creed every Sunday, right? And, and I, I believe he will come again to judge the living and the dead. But we don't think about that after we say it. Let's be honest, we don't think about it too often while we're saying it. Part of that, I suspect, is that they really are, these are bizarre images and hard to wrap your head around. But I think a larger part is that I, I think I've seen, I don't think I'm the only one, and heard the people who talk about these texts and, and even get obsessed with these texts have seemed... <laughs> Um, and I don't mean to be unkind, but this is just how it is. They seem nuts to me sometimes. Um, you know, nice people maybe, but, but kind of handing out crazy pamphlets and saying, I don't want to be these people. And I think sometimes I don't talk about these texts. I'm afraid I'll be perceived as one of these, these religious um, wackos, you know, who tell me that the, the, the world's going to end. It's October of 2019, according to the book of Revelation. Somebody will say that. And they'll, they'll show me the verse in Revelation. I don't want to be that person. I think that's sometimes why we stay away from these texts. But here's what I was thinking this week, that not wanting to be that person, 
Um, I think that maybe I and others have thrown out the baby with the bathwater when it comes to these texts. And we've done that by not talking about them at all, which means that the only people left to talk about them are those people who say the things they say when they hand out their crazy pamphlets on street corners and they're ranting at me on their doorsteps. Except that's not true. They aren't the only ones who are talking about the earth and the heavens coming to an end. For example, physicists, not wackos, but the brightest of the bright, with their second law of thermodynamics, for example, tell us that it is not a wacko thing. It is an absolutely scientifically proven certain thing that Earth and Sun and Moon and stars and even the universe will one day have an end. And two, there are others, others likewise who aren't crazy, who say that that end will be preceded by frightening things. Used to be those who said that most clearly were those who were talking about the fear surrounding the possibility of nuclear holocaust. More often these days, people raise frightening uh, warnings of calamities in the earth and in the heavens by talking frighteningly about greenhouse gases and climate change induced disasters, which are worse than they've ever been. And the prophets tell us they will soon and very soon be worse still if we don't repent. The world coming to an end and frightening things happening around us, above us, between now and then, it's, it's, it's actually not just the religious fringes who are talking about that. It's something actually that's being talked about all around us. So I think, Lutherans, that we need to say more than our 11 words of the creed uh, every week. I think once in a while we have to talk about what it is we believe when we say that we believe that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And we need to do that, first of all, because Jesus talks about that. And we are Jesus people. We are also Bible people. I mean, the Reformation was born of reading scripture and reading it well and reading it seriously. When Lutherans finally get around to taking on an issue seriously in the scriptures, well, I mean, nothing against my brothers and sisters in various denominations, but I think Lutherans, when they read the Bible seriously, do it pretty well, and maybe even better than many. When we stop talking about turning into religious wackos and instead take a passage like this seriously, for example, we notice something that I think most of the people preaching these texts and yelling them at us don't notice. But we read the Bible well enough to notice that, that Jesus did not speak these words to frighten people. And most of the people that I see reading these words, they, they show up with them and their goal seems to be to scare the hell out of me. Repent. Jesus did not speak these words to frighten his followers, not even for one second. He spoke these words about frightening things with the clear purpose of telling his followers that there wasn't one single thing about any of it that they needed to be afraid of or frightened about. Because why? Because he promised. Did you hear the promise? Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. The fulfillment of my words will not pass away. 
Which is to say, with thermodynamic physicists, that of course no thing, certainly not the Earth, not even the sun or the stars in the sky will last forever. But it is also to say with the faithful that Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth and Son of God, is forever. And he promises that even when things are scary, you don't need to be afraid, for it is not fear but love that holds you and holds the future in its hands unto forever. So, so rather than fearing what is or is to come, how about this for a charge to the church? How about being fearlessly faithful until he does what he promised he will do? Come again. And maybe in your case, maybe in all of our cases, that coming again will be when death, feared by many, comes to you. But you are not afraid. For you know that in Christ, wrapped in love, death is just there to walk you home. Or maybe, who knows, this could be the generation that will see roiling clouds and parting heavens and trumpet-sounding angels as he does at last come to judge the living and the dead. And many, 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 many of them will be afraid, Jesus says, but not you. For you know that the one coming now as judge is the same one who came once before to take any judgments upon you that are to be feared, to take them upon himself all the way to a cross. One day, one way or the other, you will see him when he does come again, this time for you. Believe. Believe. And believing, don't be afraid of the dark. Shine in the dark. And believing that it is Jesus, which is to say that it is love, which holds you and the future in its hands, faithfully love God and love one another until love in its fullness does come to show you that new heaven and that new earth where love for forever will no longer have any darkness even to shine in for the darkness, including even the darkness of your sin, will be no more. It's really kind of a profound thing to think about, I think. Our calling is to shine in the dark until that day, that promised one day, when with all forgiven sinners, what we will do for forever is shine in the light. And the light is named Jesus. Amen.